Welcome to the podcast of the Urban Mystic. In season three, we explore the tension between faith and experience and tease this out as a distinction between faith and relationship. This dovetails well with our value for intimacy with God and encourages us to explore what we can expect a relationship with God to mean for individuals and communities intentionally practicing the presence of God. This is our second conversation with Carl Teichardt, the director of OC Africa. Here we dive into the research that's, uh, that they did in the training and development needs of church leaders in South Africa. And the surprising findings from that study led them to title the work that they published, A Cry for Intimacy with God. You mentioned the, the research in, in your last few comments, and I just that seems like a natural flow across into talking about that. So, I mean, I've got the book in front of me, A Cry for Intimacy with God, uh, and you are co-author with Vili Boeta and David Bulger. David, shout out. How's it, man? It's been a long time since you beat me at basketball. I miss you. Just a, a fascinating piece of research, um, and you know, I think I'm, I'm monopolizing a little bit here, so Tim, please jump in whenever you're ready, because I think you've dug a little bit deeper into the research in the book than I have, but would love to just dive into, you know, some of the questions we talked about around kind of um, where this came from, the, the research objectives, how the, the, the findings sort of started to display themselves um, to you guys. And, and what, I'm, what I'm really enjoying and hoping we'll be able to hold in tension as we continue is what we have been speaking about, this intimacy with God, you know, in, in person with you, you know, with me, as we've alluded, Tim, etc., and then in some ways take a step across into the theoretical, but hold that tension around, you know, all the research figures in the book that you guys published in this, in this really fascinating study. Also speak to these individuals, and, and there's that title, A Cry for Intimacy with God. So I don't know if you want a more specific springboard question into that, but would love to just start to perhaps dig into into that. Great. Well, I'll start with a little bit with the you know the background and what led us into this. It was really through our our, our local Southern Africa a topic network. Topic is a um, stands for the Trainers of Pastors International Coalition. Topic. So we have a we had a Southern Africa team that was partnering with with teams of other teams around the world. And so pastoral, pastoral training pastors was kind of the, kind of the, the reason we existed as a, as a network, as we were kind of trying to train pastors, you know, we would, as we, as we tried to, uh, to work with trainers and such, you know, the question came, it kept coming back. Well, what are the really, what should we be training in, you know, and what are the really needs Christian leaders need in, in South Africa to be most effective? And so we, we had two questions that we began to then kind of formulate and try to answer. One was, you know, what are the what are the, the needs that pastors themselves are saying that they need for their own development? Okay, so what are their what are their needs for, for training and development? And then what's available, all right, to to help them? Okay. Um, and then what is the gap, right? We found out that there were actually through the World Evangelical Alliance, there actually existed a database, a global database called the Evangelical Training Directory, which was already a place existing for trainers, for folks who have curriculum or any form of, of de development of leadership to go and post their training for others to see and to get and to freely get access to. 
So in a sense, we felt like, okay, that part of our question is, is answered. Um, that at least there is something out there. Someone's already ahead of us and developed a, 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 a database or place for people to get the, get the resources that they might need. So that was shifted us to say, well, then let's focus on the question of training need. And so we developed a, uh, a team uh, of different of leaders across the board, different uh, denominational backgrounds, uh, a small team to begin to formulate a survey, a, a, a quantitative uh, questionnaire to, to ask the kind of questions that we would need to ask leaders to, and the kind of questions we ask are what types of training do you need as a leader? Or what type, more importantly, your background, what have you received already? We asked them what was um, what was valuable in that experience, and what was not so helpful in in when the development you you retrieved. The um, what did it look like? Was it formal? You know, in a classroom? Was it mentoring? Was it studies? Uh, distant learning? All that. And what would be important for the future? Okay, if you were to continue on your your development, you know, what would you what would you like to pursue? What would be important to you, and how would you like to do that? Then we finish it up with some qualitative questions about, you know, what do you face? What are you facing as a leader? Your challenges you're personally facing? And what are the leaders, what are the challenges you're facing in your community? So that was more of a qualitative question that looked differently than the developmental question. But we realized that people are in context, right? And so we needed to know um, their needs personally in their context as well as, and also in their community. So those were kind of the questions. We developed the two-page two questionnaire. You know, it's a big country, lots of people, a lot of Christian leaders, say pastors, but we weren't necessarily limiting it to just a paid full-time pastor. But we actually decided to, to open the survey for Christian leaders uh, generally. Um, we, did, we did limit it to, to Christians, but we did open it up to any type of uh, position or role of a. I must admit, part of me is is hugely intrigued to hear what uh, Buddhists, uh, Jews, Muslims would think Christians need in terms of their training needs. <laughs> <laughs> but probably, probably be, you probably would guess they're probably similar because it was holistic. So we, uh, but we, um, what we did is we to try to make this workable, uh, to make it uh, representative. We want to make it representative of. Of geography, representative of, of gender, of age and denomination background. What we did, we hired the HSRC in Pretoria to take the national database and to come up with a sample, a weighted sample that would represent the country. And so, because that could be manageable. Otherwise, even to today, you know, we did, you know, we would still be out there interviewing pastors. You know, it just never would end. But we said, so it's, it was a great advice to receive this case. Create a national sample. So they came up 75 communities, okay, around the country that were different, a variety of different communities, culturally, geographically. And then of those 75, we tried to find four at least four different types of leaders in those communities to survey. So that gave us 200. I think in the survey, we ended up with about 340, you know, in the sample set that we interviewed. And then, but also at the same time, we also asked anybody we met, you know, along the way, uh, all through volunteers, it was all done by volunteers. We just roped in anyone who would help us. But we also asked a lot of other pastors and leaders or leaders along the way. We've got 800 
other surveys, about half of them didn't didn't work because you get, get people that didn't answer the questions right or um, in, you know it just we had to throw them out. So half of those were thrown out. But the ones that worked, we also put into the to the mix. So that took about three, four, well, three years, I would say, to actually gather all of that through volunteers in our spare time, and then then collated all of that together. And it was fascinating. Well, we also, I must say, we actually learned by experience of um, uh, the Philippines and Brazil. um, The same topic, uh, uh, regional um, uh, working, uh, I would say networks in those areas had done something similar. And so we kind of built upon their experience but we went much deeper on ours, but we did try to learn, you know, okay, you did a survey. What did you, what questions were you asking? But we had a fresh, we tried to make it fresh with our own South African team. And so the, um, basically then we um, then began to look at the, look at the results, right? But I think the thing that stood out to us was in the final stages, training uh, development and growth needs. Okay. There was a section on that. What do you, what do you sense the set basically the back page of our survey was like a big uh, spreadsheet and it said training and development. What do, what do you need to grow in your own personal uh, training and development for the future? And it was four columns, four categories of doing. And we said primarily that's ministry and leadership doing. Okay. Becoming, which we call more personal development and then being as a third category, which we call spirituality and character. And then fourth was knowing, knowing the Bible, knowing the, the world. So we thought going in that knowing was going to be the big one because the people was people say that, you know, in rural Africa or across Africa, maybe only about 15% of, of, of leaders are have really sufficient Bible training you know, formal Bible training or any, you know, significant level of that. So we knew that we thought, oh, knowing, you know, Bible is going to be number one, you know, everybody's going to pick that. And so, but we didn't prescribe um, that, but we came up with um, categories that people could tick. And we've used those categories based on the other countries that had experience. And then our team came up with new categories under those four, you know, new, um, I should say new selections under those four categories, uh, being, doing, becoming, and knowing. And then we just, you know, people would tick. They would tick at least, we would ask them to tick at least three, four boxes under each of those categories and just see what God did. So then finally, then we sat down and looked at the results. The top 10 of the um, greatest needs uh, for development and growth were, it was a complete surprise to us. As I said, we anticipated that knowing would be number one, knowing, knowing, growing in our theology, you know, and, uh, but it turned out that being was number one, the actual development in our own being, and secondly, was doing, okay, types of areas, and under the being, the, the number one uh, response was intimacy with God, followed by spirit-led, followed by spiritual disciplines, (laughs) right? So it's like, oh, that was, honestly, it was a surprise to us. We had no idea. And people just tick the box, right? Okay. 
the the doing ones the the uh, were all counseling uh community impact was fundraising finances right the third one was relationship with your spouse <laughs> okay um that was the only that was the only becoming one okay which we're seeing is still a big need for, you know, because of demands of, of life and ministry, families are under stress. And so relationship with spouse was what came out as the top relational uh, need for pastors. In terms of the nature of the survey, you know, again, we were just, we put these together with our team um, through some, some experience. We didn't try to describe these uh, words or anything. We just allowed the, the respondents to just tick what they felt like and, and try to prioritize, you know, I think what we did is we prioritized the top three. So as they tick them, we would actually go back and say, well, choose the top three in the, in the being, choose the top three in the, in the doing, okay, to help us. So then that kind of helped us to rank, which eventually uh, intimacy with God was ranked number one. And not only number one, it was twice as many, two to one of any other category, okay? Counseling, spirit-led, you know, prayer was important. They just came out uh, second, third, fourth, but intimacy God was twice as much as, as any other category. And so then in our, in our survey, it surprised us. And so in terms of our reflection on that, you know, the, again, the goal on all this was, we thought it was for training, you know? There was this, this, this research was done for those who are doing training of Christian leaders to be better informed, better prepared to train leaders in the future based on what the leaders want, not by based upon your curriculum, right? Um, the way we've always done it, right? We were hoping this would be a fresh approach. So what we've done is now challenge those trainers to say, it's not about knowing, you know, you do a good job of teaching knowing, teaching knowledge, right? Bible, you know, preaching. Actually, leaders themselves, knowing didn't even show up on the list uh, of what they need. They need help. They need development in being. And secondly, they need help in doing. But seminaries, Bible schools don't help you in being, usually, and they don't help you too much in the doing, you know, you're there for a short time to train, get the degree, walk the aisle. God bless you. So this has been a real, you know, real, real push, you know, challenge, I think, hopefully to, to those in training to say, okay, so we need to get back to really in, in the training uh, development to be more intentional about helping people practice, you know, and live out the more of the, um, of the of the being uh, of the relational relational side with 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 Christ and with the Lord. So so on one hand, um, you know, one can cynically look at a report like that and say, well, that's the right thing to say. But the context of the study is that these are actually unmet and future training needs of those Christian leaders. Is it is it right of me to understand that that from that survey? You have Christian leaders representing a whole nation, but in that sense, perhaps if one conducted the study elsewhere and it was similarly open and it had been this research, there's a potential that they may have come out with the same thing. But that that what's coming out is, is people are basically going, we run these churches 
but our need for intimacy with God is unmet and we are wanting some form of inputs, guidance, assistance, training, whatever, whatever language one would use around that. But basically the recognition that it's actually an unmet need. Is that, is that, is that a fair understanding? Yes, no, it's an absolute, it's an unmet, current unmet need. So we, um, we were trying to look at past training, you know, holistically and, and what worked well, what would you change differently? And the surprise was, you know, that actually their development in the, uh, in their intimacy or their being practice currently was not being met. Okay. So, um, that can be fulfilled, you know, it needs to be fulfilled in a variety of ways, but it depends on your context, right? That need by and large is not being met. And that, and, and we went back and looked at that intimacy with God across, across, uh, we cut it across the data and it, it was number one in terms of whatever denomination you're part of. Okay. So we had all, we had a wonderful variety of different church backgrounds uh, and experiences. Same. So it, it didn't matter on your church background. It didn't matter on your gen, uh, your gender. It didn't matter on what part of the country you lived in. Okay. So that, that was profound. And the fact that that need was so important, so unmet. Across okay, the board, pretty much. Across yeah. the board, right. So I would probably oh. safely say it could be extended, of course, to Zimbabwe and other places as well. But um, at least in South Africa. So, so, so I just, I, I just want to comment on this because, because I'd, <laughs> I, I've been known to to make noises about this, and uh, and and church leaders that I know come back very strongly to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> and and so it was really nice to actually find support f- for this and research that actually demonstrated this because. I think what can what can almost get lost here is is the is the profoundness. We can go, oh, sure, that's the case. But what's the implication of this? The implication of this is that the majority of leaders within Christianity across the whole nation, who are the people that run the faith, shape the faith, teach the faith to others, nurture their faith, define it, call for accountability, blah 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 blah. <laughs> the people that are running the show are going. We're not really experiencing God enough. And to deep dive in that would be a phenomenal thing to do on one, one level. But the next thing that's horrendous for me is these are people who week after week are generally preaching from the scriptures, God's word, as though in the preaching of the word, you're supposed to be satisfied that you're hearing from God because Protestantism historically um, has focused on scripture as God's as, as God's word. So this is God's self-revelation to us. And it is our primary means of hearing from God. Uh, and, and often for most people, the only need. And, and that as a, as a paradigm is a, is a myth that continues being perpetuated week after week, year after year, decade after decade, church plants after church plants, one doing church venture to another doing venture. And, and I, I, I find myself um, like responding to this in a way that basically goes, this is annoying. <laughs> I, I use that lightly. <laughs> I, I would, I would cuss, but, but, but I don't sense that you, you safe cussing company. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite um, unsettling at best. I mean, otherwise flat out just too dangerous, really. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but that, we, we didn't see that, but it came out strong. You know, an interesting other point to add is <clears throat> age. We did a comparison on this uh, intimacy with God across age. And we found that actually the percentage of was increasing with the older the person was. I, I, I didn't clarify that. The, the longer that they were as a Christian, no, not older in age, the longer they were as a Christian. Okay. So the, the people that were, you know, 20s and 30s, it was growing, 30s and 40s, but the biggest group was 40s to 50s. Okay. So these are people that have been a Christian a long time. And yet, they are struggling and really sensing a deeper need for intimacy with God. Now, we didn't, you know, that this is, this is, we, we went in the report, we said we really need to um, go back and actually research this because it's really, we, we didn't define it. We just put that word in, intimacy with God. And that can be interpreted different ways, okay? It, it, it can be a positive thing and it can be a negative thing, you know, because um, we all, in a sense, need to grow in intimacy with God. So, um, but it can also be a, 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 day, a real red flag as well, right, for spiritual leaders. So that's that I must say, I must, we, we put that into the report to say it was, it could be open to a little bit of interpretation. So we won't want to be careful in terms of drawing too many Con conclusions. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate that. But one of the things that was interesting just from, from reading it as well was the sense that if people had been formally trained, they were likely to spend a longer time in professional ministry. If people weren't formally trained, they might pull out. So people who are most well prepared from a classic perspective for ministry by going through Bible school, having that formal training, <laughs> shape for the ministry, you know, talk to interpret scripture, et cetera, et cetera. Those people that are most well-prepared stay in ministry the longest, but the longer the people are in ministry, the more they realize that there's, 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 um, uh, I define it as a God absence, a relational absence and, and a recognition that, that, that the, the longer they spend time teaching. And I think, I think that's, you can't, well, I fail to see how one can read something like the Bible and think that God isn't a relational being who wants to continue this in the first present continuous today. And I imagine that there's, there's something over time that does build up for people, but it's intriguing. It's intriguing to me that, that those formally trained can have more staying power through the seasons of life and the challenges of, of ministry and yet can stay in ministry while going, there's this, there's this unmet need. Tim, are you wondering there at the idea of, of um, let me just get my words right, as, as training as a method in some way. So I, I want to be careful with what I'm saying because I don't want to, I don't want to, imp, I don't want to impose a, like an evil agenda <laughs> on <laughs> seminaries, right? But there's the sense almost that in some ways the training suppresses this desire for intimacy with God. Is that kind of almost what you, you're wondering at? Like the, the, more the, the more the training takes effect, the easier it is to ignore the desire for intimacy over God. I just want to 
No, I, I don't. I don't think that that's that's what I'm getting at. I mean, I, I I'd love to just check to see which institutions we're from, so that those are all the good ones, and then we can talk down about the others that aren't the movements we're from, <laughs> because that's usually the way it works. <laughs> you know, I've I've heard people in in Bible in Bible school situations talking about other, other groups, and that's that's often the case. You know, them from that group, they don't they're not really doing the good stuff that we are. Um. So so setting that that aside now, I, I think I think what I'm what I what I'm more noting is that the the seminaries and the universities that prepare people for ministry prepare people well to do church, and then they do church well, and then in and through doing church. And the reason why people get into doing church is is when someone's got a got a calling by God. Well, the natural thing is there's this career called ministry, so that's that's where we channel people, and then we've got these institutions which are often set up by the movements themselves and then later have to become academically credited and, you know, become a bit more broader and sane and less heretical, you know, lunatic fringe groups, <laughs> more, more, more balanced. But basically they, they well prepare people to do this thing called church. So, so people are prepared to plant, to serve in churches, to help grow churches, to plant churches and then, and then that's their career. And so, in some ways, like you've made a career out of it. So, what would you do? You know, because I think more classically, people will start. You know, like like Methodists would encourage you to get another qualification first and to do a normal job before you go into ministry. But but not every group does that. You know, some people go straight to Bible school from school, and then they go straight onto the ministry. That's their that's their career from the start. And so, I would imagine that someone that is well prepared to do that who's becoming very good at doing church is going to keep doing that. And the reason why they're doing it is because they really want people to experience and connect with God. But then I feel like there's this, there's this, there's this bit of a, of an unspoken loop. You know, this, this is not safe territory to poke your finger at because you get bitten. <laughs> That's my experience that the more I poke at this, the more, the more pushback I get. And when I poke at this, then I'm told that I'm devaluing the Bible and I'm devaluing the institution of the church. And I go, okay, I'm happy to do that because for me, the relational presence of God is primary. And it is actually a primary meaning of revelation in scripture. It's just not the primary revelation how it works out in, in, in function practice that we have today. And so I feel like I feel like what I'm what I'm getting at is, is less that it's a it's a product of going to seminary that you lose a relationship with God because I don't think that's the case. I think that we often have experiences with God. We add education and faith on top. So for the people that go into ministry, we add education in how to do church on top. And as part of that, we teach people, we we, we school people. There's a pedagogy into this whole thing of the paradigm that by preaching the word and gathering people to preach to them, this is the primary means of helping them grow in relationship with God. And what I feel, I, what I feel this research, and, and yes, where it's nice to have this conversation with you, because, because please, if I'm, if I'm hearing, if I'm interpreting this wrong, like I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, <laughs> is that these, these leaders that we're preparing for ministry are not well prepared to relate to God. They're not well prepared for intimacy with God. They don't know how to get that for themselves. They are well prepared to do this thing called doing church. So how well prepared are they really to help other people do that? Um, and, and of course, we can we can unpack that in various ways related to different movements, you know, whether they have parent-child relationships, like many of these that are very elder, you know, everyone's got to submit to the elders kind of scenarios, 
or, or whether they have more adult to adult environments, but irrespective of the environment, this, this thing called intimacy with God, however we define it, however, how variously we define it, it's a real question of, of how important is this for doing church and doing ministry? I, I believe it's, it's paramount, but I don't believe that we're very good at it. And I don't believe that by doing church, we're satisfying this for ourselves or others. And, and, I, and, 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 I, and I love the fact that I feel like your research uh, supports what people really just feel is my hobby horse and bias. <laughs> What's interesting is that anecdotally from my side, I see this research on the ground floor in my interactions with pastors and ministers within churches. And, and what's really fascinating to me, Carl, is as you've described kind of the stats and how you arrived at the findings and how they started to present themselves, et cetera. And specifically, you said you were expecting the knowing category, right? To be very high. And it was the other way around. I have experienced that face to face with people who've basically said, this is my life. I expected the knowing category to be enough. If I knew the Bible, if I read the commentaries, if I knew doctrine, church history, you know, if I had a great speaking style, if I'd worked on Toastmasters, whatever it is, I'm surprised because I thought that would be my top category. And actually what I am discovering in and myself in the personal is where is this relationship with God I'm supposed to have? You know, and as you talk about some of the other spaces, relationship with spouse, I've seen that on the ground. And I think if I'm echoing Tim well, what I'm really, really fascinated by in this conversation is, I also, I want to make sure I'm not hijacking the research. <laughs> because, because I hear you saying, you know, you didn't define intimacy with God. So there's still a lot of groundwork to cover, I guess. Maybe... Let me position it this way. Maybe the question I'm asking is an unfair one, but I feel like I want to ask it anyway and let you tell me it's unfair. Um, your, it's not defined intimacy with God. Have you got a sense within yourself? Was there any kind of conversation around the edges with people around the data that was collected that gives you a sense of what people mean, what they understand by intimacy with God? Is that still to come? Do you know what I mean? Because I'm, I'm sensitive, I think, like Tim, to not hijacking it and sticking it on our hobby horse, while at the same time I'm going, yeah, man, <laughs> I see this face-to-face -face every week. <laughs> I'm right here with you, Carl, and, and I want to make sure I am. In the, in the research, you know, we, um, we surveyed uh, leaders, you know, that were in practice. It turns out that half, half of them were full-time uh, senior people. The other half were assistants or um, associate or um, youth leaders or elders, you know, but they weren't Bible school students. Okay. So actually I should clarify that actually then the research really wasn't intended to better train or to reach the needs uh, that, that Bible school students are telling us they need those entering into preparation, what we would traditionally call preparation, actually no these are the people that have been in the work for 20 to 40 years right that might be the reason why we thought knowing would be number one because okay they need to know and they're in they're going to school because they need to know so so the folks that have been in in the trenches for so many years really felt like 
they didn't in the survey then none of the very few of the knowing boxes were ticked and very few of the personal development boxes were ticked the ones that really were ticked and were the um were the the being and the doing okay and so the being one is is how do we live it out and that's not by you know going to back to school and so interesting also we asked them well what how would you how would you like to receive development in the future and it was pretty well evenly mixed between doing, receiving that through mentoring life on life receiving that through ongoing um, learning through books through receiving it through conferences i mean it was pretty well mixed so they want us to receive it in a variety of ways but mentoring mentoring and we noted this in the end was significant. Um, let me tell you the stats. Okay, please that do. Stood yeah. out yeah. for mentoring. Mentoring. 86 percent rated mentoring high or very high to them. Okay, the importance of of, of being mentored, and seventy five percent, eighty six said that was very important to them. Okay, seventy five percent said that they felt it was important to also mentoring others and they were doing it. They were doing it from anywhere from three to five. We didn't have, we kind of had ranges. So again, when you talk about the doing, the doing isn't something, but you can do it in different ways, but it's gotta be coupled with life on life. It's gotta be coupled with, um, and this is my own personal experience. See, I'm bringing it back to my own personal experience. I've seen it, you know, intimacy, is, is input uh, from the Lord, from the word, from, uh, but it's always coupled with somebody in the moment to help you process, to help you encourage and help you to transition to the next you know, level of, of growth and intimacy with the Lord. So um, that came out of the survey was the importance of that um, intentional mentoring, pursuing mentors, being a mentor. Um, that's got to be built into this. And these are, these are, these are leaders in, in, so a lot of that means there's a gap there. That's a gap. So our current structures of denominations, of fraternals, whatever, it's not personal. It's not being personal enough. It's not, it's not this life on life. And it's not, um, if it is, okay, it's not touching on that personal intimacy with the Lord and helping people process that uniquely for them to go deeper that i would say are thing, significant things that we picked up in the in the research it's got to be coupled with spirit-led this is what they said spirit-led and and spiritual disciplines those are the things those were in the top six okay along with spiritual uh intimacy with god so those things are not being practiced right in the structures we have whatever that looks like so that needs to be brought in and it's not going to be done through knowledge. It's not going to be done through, you know, personal development. It's going to be done through um, relationships. And so, but what we're lacking is the people to practice that, <laughs> the people to help others do it, because you know, you know, there's such so many that are meeting it. So, so this would be a call. This would be the call. Actually, the call to intimacy. The bigger call is the call for spiritual mentors to help leaders in this country to go deeper with God. That, if I had to retitle the book, <laughs> that's really the biggest call is actually, is the call for spiritual development to come alongside leaders in the, in the nation at all levels and helping them to pursue intimacy 
whatever that looks like and helping them to do that with others. There you go. That would be my, my insight from the survey that I could pick up. It, it brings that, that where you land that there, Carl, it brings me back to what we were talking about earlier. And as I, I was struck by, you know, that kind of infrastructure that you lay out within terms of living the life and then put your finger on the personal connection with God, those, those moments that you spoke about. And would I be misinterpreting you when I put those alongside each other and talk about this idea of the relational connection? Because I hear you talking about relationships, relationship with God, self and others. And that that's all mixed in what you're talking there, because I, I don't think, I want to make sure I'm not missing you. I don't think that you are highlighting that the only real need is for the person to person interaction of a pastor in connection with another. There's, that's part of it. But part of that is also that, that fuels the idea of intimacy in the, if I can say in the vertical person to God, there will obviously be, I imagine, unless I'm importing this in here, the, the internal work, the self, if I think about spiritual disciplines that you're talking about, is, is that kind of a framework that's fair, as I reflect what I hear you saying, is within this entire life lived, God, relation in God, self and others, is, is that fair? That is fair, right, because it's got to be balanced in all these areas, I agree, 100%. They have to overlap and they have to complement because... You know, if someone's by themselves, they don't have perspective, right? They, they need somebody, the other, or the other the other person, and they need other input from other sources. You know, it all kind of works together, I should say. But all those dimensions are critical in balance. I'm going to throw out a, a quote here, because I feel like this is, this is the baseline that evangelicals come down to through the just through the the years and the centuries and the theology that we that we've had and so you know good old intervarsity press they put out the the new bible dictionary for instance which is a great you know it, it it's a good go-to if you want to know what evangelicals think like pick up an ibp book in general so i just want to throw out this 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 one quote because i feel like this is the baseline and this this is the myth what your research really highlights is that we've got to go we've got to think past this because we thought ourselves to a particular point and evidence is saying saying something different. And whether one looks at the at the contributions of like a, a Richard Foster or Dallas Willard or any of those that have been working so hard to bring spiritual disciplines in and cultivate a sense of this, this is an ongoing problem. And I think, you know, did uh, Foster write that book in 1970 or 72, you know, Celebration of Discipline? Or 75. Yeah. So, so, you know, this is a long-standing problem, but it's one that I don't think we acknowledge well enough, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm really holding on to this. So anyway, just, just a quote from the New Bible Dictionary on, on God. The statement is, it goes as follows. God is and may be known. These two affirmations form the foundation and inspiration of all true, true religion. The first is an affirmation of faith, the second of experience. Since the existence of God is not subject to scientific proof, it must be a postulate of faith. And since God transcends all his creation, he can only be known in his self-revelation. The Christian religion is distinctive in that it claims that God can be known as a personal God only in his self-revelation in the scriptures. And I'll end the quote there. In recently looking that up again, it, it struck me that that I feel like that was that was what I took away from my undergrad studies, 
but I didn't come in with that idea. And I've been wrestling against it ever since. Just the sense that, that we've got this dual statement, God is a personal God that you don't know through experience, you know through the Bible. God is a personal God, but don't expect God to talk to you directly because that's crazy territory. God is a personal God, but don't expect a clear relationship with God. You have to be in church and it's in and through church only that you're going to experience God. Uh, you know, I feel like in many ways this gets carried through, but the fundamental comeback is, is so God is and God can be known, but you can't know God one-on-one. -on -one. You can only know God through the Bible. What comes out through research like this is, 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 is the response of people basically going, this does not work for me. To know God only in and through the Bible is, is not actually to know God. It, it perhaps transitions to knowing about God. And no matter how faithful and obedient I am to that, fundamentally, it's not meeting my relational need. And, and, and I think, I think you, you, you're right in highlighting that the need is, is, is for these leaders, for people who, who focus on relational intimacy with God, to be in a position where they're able to be, to be mentored. But I almost feel like if, if we transition across and go, so what's the baseline? What are we aiming for? Suddenly we're going to get into into difficult territory. I, I find when I push into that territory, I've often reflected, and I've said it several times on this podcast, if I put 20 people that have been Christian for 20 years into a room and I tell them about experiencing God, their response to me is going, thank you very much, Tim. We don't want what you're putting on the table. We're happy with the Bible. We're happy with God speaking to us in all these roundabout ways. And that's where it will end and it will end uncomfortably. If I put 20 people into that same room who aren't Christian, that don't have that background, that don't make the Bible their the beginning and the end of their port of call, don't have church in that. And I tell them about these experiences with, with God that I've had and others tell about their experiences and go, do you want this? Nine times out of 10, all 20 people are going, hell yeah. Sign me up for that. I want that. Don't give me this roundabout way. Don't give me the Bible. Don't make me go to church. I want to meet God here now face to face. And, and I often say I'm, I'm, I'm still hard pressed to find a hardcore atheist who, who, who isn't open to, the relation, to relational engagement with God. And I, I've tested that over and over in conversation with them. Because in some ways, this notion of, of believing God on the basis of faith shares in common the silence and absence of God, together with atheists, that it goes, it's on the basis of the silence and absence that I don't buy this BS anymore. And, and we've made, in many ways, faith and scripture. So we leap from text to, to, to faith. And, and sometimes we talk about love as though in loving others and, you know, God is love, therefore Bible and love. As long as I've got those two, it, it, it's fine. And we do that in community and we need the church because, you know, if you don't have the church, people stop pre preaching about Jesus. And that's because they won't remember him because he's not around, right? Is <laughs> basically what it comes down to because they're not experiencing him. There is no, we don't have a clear understanding. We haven't built a clear theology of the relational presence of God. We haven't built a clear relational theology coming out of that. And we don't have a we don't have a, a practical spirituality that is actually focused on intimacy with God. Yeah, I mean, I've just found it weird over the years that I, the more I make noise about that, the more I'm treated like some kind of leper. Yeah, it's true. You're right. Oh, that's some, that's very profound. Thank you. That's really a good observation. Yeah, when we tend to get out of balance and we tend to, you know, take the word, you know, take knowledge and take doctrine 
you know, um, and uh, and forget the fact that it's got to be lived out in in um, in character in in relationships, you know, in um, spirit spirit led experience, right? It's got to all fit together. I think that's that's kind of at least that's what the research was saying. It's just they really all got to be held together, and the over and the overlap of all that is intimacy. It's like if you have three four big circles. I just drawn a picture as you were talking. You know, four big circles of all those different areas. You know, intimacy with God is the overlap in the middle. And we get out of balance when we look at knowledge, which is, you know, good, good. I have the answers in the Bible or just doing, I'm out there doing it, whatever it is, good works or whatever it might be, good stuff, right? You know, being, you know, just development, having a good time with people, right? And then, and then the doing, you know, is part of that character development, but they have to all fit together and they have to overlap. And it has, of course, you've ever and flow in that. But that's, I think, the danger is when we've got to, when we focus on, you know, one circle or one area with the exclusion of the other. Another thing that I that that I I loved in the re, in in the research, and I, I am talking off the top of my head because I don't have it in front of me. So please, um, just just wait wait in here. Is I, I loved how people reflected that they recognized that their primary need is intimacy with God, you know, then coupled with with um, with being spirit led and spiritual disciplines, so the interconnection between them. But when asked about what do you think your colleagues need better, the answer was, <laughs> I want them to preach better. It, would you mind commenting on that? I mean, that's it is, uh, thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. I didn't mention that, but um, you're right. Um, intimacy with God was was important, but it was number two. Preaching um, was number one. So it was intimacy with God. They felt like was also important for other people, but they felt like man, my, uh, my colleague just needs really help, needs help <laughs> better, right? The other doing things is leadership. Another top five, number one, another doing one leadership. Man, they need to be a better leader. They're just really kind of need, need to strengthen that, you know, a little bit more. Discipleship, church growth, uh, church planting. Those were all doing, um, doing uh, areas of growth that um, the leaders felt like other people that they knew needed to grow in. There was one, another similar area was um, relationships. We, you know, we had um, for the person, their um, relationship with their spouse was number nine. That was higher for others. The others felt like, man, marriage and family, that was number three. The guys felt like, you know, I, yeah, I need to work on my relationship with my wife. But my colleagues, you know, my leaders around me, man, their marriages and families need a lot more work. So... <laughs> You know, that is also interesting. You know, that way we kind of wanted to see what they thought about it. And it's saying, but it's still, intimacy is still there, number one. But they've got these other preaching, leadership. Man, they need to be strengthened in that more. And then, of course, their marriages and kids, you know, where they're in trouble. They need to they need a lot of help. But that is interesting. Now, just compare those two. Yeah, any, any thoughts on that in terms of uh, your experience, Carl, around, I mean, that, that's, unless I'm missing something here, that sounds like a dramatic reversal from the personal to the other, if I'm following you correctly. So yes, intimacy with God is there, but suddenly doing suddenly makes a headline <laughs> spot. Yes, exactly. The doing, well, there's a lot more doings. For others. Yeah. And as you said, the relationship, me and my spouse, we're doing better than the guy next door and the church next door kind of idea. Any thoughts from that in terms of your experience? 
I mean, that's that's fascinating from the personal to the other. Yeah, I mean, it's subjective. You know, that's a subjective question. You know, what do you think? What do you, uh, you know, it's like, what do, you, what do you observe? What do you, what would you recommend for the others? You know, and we didn't, we didn't say who the others were, right? It just said other leaders. So it didn't just say these are people you work with. You know, I'm joking, but I say, you know, my colleagues, but, you know, there could be others in the community, but they are people, you know, you, you probably have somebody in mind, but it was undefined if they are, but yeah, it did, it's, it's interesting that the, um, the doing of, of the, of the, of the ministry, um, preaching, leadership, discipleship, pre, uh, church planting, you know, we're on the top, we're, we're in the list that we're not on the list for you personally. And I don't know if that's just reflective of, you know, the sense of insecurity, you know, competition that tends to sneak in to, to pastors that, uh, well, the other guys really need to work on this. I'm okay, you know, I'm all right. I'm doing okay in these areas, but they need to really work in these areas. So that's kind of reflective a little bit in terms of that, I, I would say insecurity um, or competition, maybe. I don't know, I'm just inferring maybe that would be issues, but, um, you know, you, you mentioned, um, Tim, that you want to put a group of pastors around or leaders around and talk about experiencing, what was the question you said? How do you experience God? I, I mean, it's something that I've, I've, I've just experienced in the past when talking to groups of Christians where their response is to go, we don't need this, this immediate thing, this immediacy of engagement with God that you prioritize is not something that we prioritize. We've been Christian our whole lives. We don't experience it. We don't need it. We don't trust it is, 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 is what I get. And it's, it's actually been quite often. It's, it was one of the things that led me to, to deconstruct evangelism years ago and to, to actually move away from evangelism to creating relational engagement with God and putting that as primary. And then there was a huge kickback that I had around that. And then that's actually what led me, the feedback from that from people and from myself, really listening to myself, that people who came to faith through a relational engagement with God would, 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 would leave stuff that I, like groups and that that I ran because I, you know, I, I, I only had a small pool of material. But then after six months to a year in church, they'd come back and go, church is not about relating to God. It's not actually about experiencing God. We we're here because we experience God and we want more of that. And having moved on from what you do to churches, we're out again. We're done. We're not coming back. And so for me, that was that was particularly frustrating and painful. And so back in those days, I, I just recognized that I couldn't keep doing that and stay sane. So so and I landed at a bunch of things around around that, a bunch of uh like like pa painful lessons and ideas. And arrived at the fact that this this thing called church, this doing church paradigm, has got a life of its own, and it so strongly defines what doing church is, and that it so strongly defends itself, that that people can't be in a place of discovering God and working towards um, behavior and belief that would approximate like someone who was raised in the faith, whose default setting is the right kind of behavior and belief, irrespective of whether they meet God or not. If, if you were bred right as a Christian, you're going to do fine, buddy. <laughs> if you weren't, we don't care what movement you've made. We're, we're going to look down on you because 
you, you don't think about God right, you don't quote the Bible right, you don't behave right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We don't care that you're experiencing God or God healed you or you've had this epiphany. You know, like you've you've been here for three months. Like, come on, it's time to shut up and obey and just be part of what we do. And, and I just love the fact that so many of the people that I worked with, they landed at this profound understanding. Of, of intimacy with God as primary and recognize that they didn't need to play this thing called doing church in order to have that. And so for me, that that was um, a big part of my journey and a big part of what, you know, what, what encouraged me to deconstruct in a particular way. And then to take that a step further, because I'm actually from a movement that is very experientially focused, the, the vineyard movement. I don't know if you know it. But that the idea of renewal, the idea of God drawing near in person and speaking is very much a part of it. And there was something in that that I couldn't put my finger on. But uh, one of our future conversations is going to be with uh, Costa Mitchell. And, uh, and, and yeah, you, you know Costa. And, uh, and I'm going to be drilling him on, on that. And just our one-on-one conversations, we're actually on the same page. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to tease that out for a, for a podcast. Because I feel like even with that, even with the vineyard where the personal engagement with God is included in the context of doing church, I still think we we use the Holy Spirit as 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 uh, it's as the genie that pitches up to qualify our preaching, <laughs> and people are still gated in their relationship with God by having to come to church, and they're gated by whether we've got a leader or a, or a teacher or someone especially gifted, whatever the language is in the context that can provide that engagement for people. But in the absence of that, people aren't really going to experience that immediacy. So therefore, they must be set aside. Well, two or three have gathered and we've preached on the word. So of course, you've experienced God. Did, did you have an emotional reaction? Did you love the worship? Oh, God, you must be meeting with God in that, you know. And, and I'm not discounting the fact that, that that we do and people do. But my my benchmark for relational engagement is, is uh, I feel, is quite high in comparison to where we generally set it in church. And what I love about your research is is just that what comes out from the ground up, as opposed to when people feel they need to defend the face, when you take that off and people res- respond to something like that, they've basically come out and gone, this is in short supply and we need it. You know, this is this is unmet for us. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it just it just leads me to wonder how your research has been received, how, how this is being responded to, because something like this, I think. Yeah, uh, how do I put it? It's a significant conclusion to come to from grounded research. And as such, it should actually influence what we're doing. But my question is, is it? Does it? H- how is it being received? H- how have... Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, all I, all I can, in terms of answer, is the feedback that we've, we've been receiving. And, and unfortunately, we haven't received a lot of a lot of feedback one way or the other um, from folks. I mean, occasionally we get responses like, like this, but, but early on we did, but um, by and large has been um, a, not a significant response. So positive or negative. I generally feel like people, pastors, leaders are, are busy and they've actually gotten busier uh, during COVID just because they're trying to survive. Um, and in the kind of things that we're talking about take time you know it's not like we're putting people through course big more people through courses you know we're trying to get you know preach get more people to hear messages kind of thing no the kind of thing that this is looking at actually is more about the character development which which takes um personal 
a reflection and, and actual pers personal interaction, but in all three dimensions, you know, what, like, like um, Theory was saying, person to person, you know, self to self, and, but, but you need, you need um, that's a process and that takes time and it's something that's not being done. I would say that probably people um, uh, probably don't, don't resist it because they know, yes, that's important. Intimacy with God, yes, is important. We agree with that. But to get to it is going to take uh, a lot of effort and a lot of change in, in practice. And I don't think that um, our structures, you know, really are equipped to do that right now um, and, and worry in the future. It just takes work. I must, so, so interesting, one thing to add that um, as, a, as just maybe a word of encouragement <laughs> in the direction that actually this is really a direction actually that the Holy Spirit is doing globally right now is a shift. Okay. Uh, a shift in, in the, uh, in the, it, it, uh, holistically um, in the mindset of, of the church, church leadership in around the world toward, toward no, not doing, trying to do get back to normal, not trying to do better uh, online, actually that we need to actually have a new uh, wineskin in how we go about drawing people into maturing, growing relationships with the Lord. And it is increasing. I must say, uh, you know, that has been my, my heart, my drumbeat for many years is, you know, it's always been church planting, but really Jesus didn't really call us to go plant churches. Jesus called us to make disciples, followers of him through, through other, and that's done through life on life. His, actually, his, his very strategy wasn't anything about what we're practicing today. And it, you guys would be amazed how I am getting so many calls. I've met, I preached on Sunday at my home church and I met with pastors um, on, on the, with their staff on Monday. And every single day, pastors are asking me, Carl, please help us to transition our church in, uh, to come out of this toward um, seeing movements of our members to, to be about engaging people around them for the gospel. And it's about discovery. I call it discovery. You know, it's not, it's not knowledge. It's not having the right answers and telling people what to do. But it's about a conversation of discovering God's word um, and being obedient and putting that into practice in my own life and with those around me. And guys, it is incredible that this is accelerating um, our Evangelical Alliance globally, the World Evangelical Alliance has set a, a challenge, what we're calling a, a decade of disciple making. And our own evangelical, South African Evangelical Alliance, TISA, has started a ta uh, kind of a working group of passionate people who want to come alongside and help congregations who are, who are desperate <laughs> of our change and who want to make steps toward mobilizing their members toward engaging gospel movements and it's not at it's yes preaching is part of it but it's 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 really happening about about uh, outside of the church i would say that this is really encouraging um what god is doing these days and it's you're really getting back to more intimacy and discovery of the word but it's really releasing see i think in the past we've kind of looked a lot of what we've been talking about is the church structures and the preaching well 
that people are not going to be discipled through that because the numbers today are basically only half of our country are ever, ever going to walk in the door of a church. The, the other half, yes, some people do want to go to find God in a church, you know, and to hear that in through a message. But the other half and growing number of our church are never going to hear it uh, through, a, through a preacher. It's going to be done through a believer that's going to live it out. And that's not just going to be done from, you know, just um, one, you know, good, good gospel presentation. No, it's going to be done through talking about the word in life, doing that through a, a dialogue, through asking questions, and not just head knowledge, but how does this, how does this make a difference for me? How does this impacting my family? my oikos, you know, my oikos, the people around me. Um, and uh, guys, it is incredible. It is really accelerating. I'm, I just started a new group this week with leaders all across the country who are just moving into this. So we are on the cusp of this. So uh, I'm, that's encouraging because it's not about, it's, you know, it's not about um, um, the structures, you know, the pulpit. It's really about the movement of the spirit in, in releasing, but pastors are getting it. Some, some are getting it. My hope is that the, 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 the yeast will, will be planted into the leaven that will then begin to multiply. And uh, it's really exciting. So that's a word of encouragement. I find, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very excited by that and the opportunities for change. I, I, I keep hoping that the value for intimacy with God can be primary as opposed to the value of preaching. You know, I, I feel like in some ways what we do is we, we put the value for, well, the gospel is primary and the gospel is primarily, uh, it's primarily shared in groups. And what we do is we gather groups, uh, you know, big, big or small. So, so in some cases we can let go of church, but as, as long as we're forming groups, guys, <laughs> and we, we, we're preaching at that sense and we're sharing this, we're sharing the word, we're sharing from the Bible, you know, we're, we're, we're doing this, but but I think that there's an even more fundamental building block. And the building block is the, is the individual, their value for intimacy with God. And then the question of, so what priorities come out of that? What practices come out of that in order to, to meet that, that value? But then the question of going to get a group together where, where people don't know what intimacy with God is and then go, let's do this together. You've got a bunch of people not knowing what they're looking for, how to do it on their own, let alone together. You know, and so so I feel like in some ways I, I love that this change is happening, and I'm super excited about the fact that there's there's this opportunity to drill down for in, to individuals and for them to ask questions around this. I think post COVID we're probably not going to see doing church in the same way, and, and and certainly during this time of COVID we we're not. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity to capitalize, especially for anyone that's been stuck within structures going, if only we could change the following and do something more creative or do this or do that. You know, so so it's you know, thankfully there's there's such great opportunities for people to to take the gap, <laughs> you know, and make the best of it. And it just, you know, as I listen to your excitement, Carl, it reminds me of 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 something of where Tim and I started on this journey as we were recording together. And, and one of the paradigms that we were digging into, you know, as you say, the new wineskin, um, um, we talked through this paradigm of first and second order change, right? Which is first order change, you take the old wineskin and you sew it a little bit tighter or, <laughs> you know, 
you you just put a different stopper in or you put it in a plastic packet so if it leaks a bit at least it's not going all over the couch or whatever but the second order change is very much that and it's a very very disconcerting and brave but also curious uh, um, creative and curiosity driven space to go into where you go if we what if we really could let go of the original wineskin? What if we could let go? What would emerge? <clears throat> and I think that's some of what's really excited me around just the investigation we've been doing. And I can feel potentially some resonance around the excitement you're talking about, some new ways is going, if you run too quickly to design that new wineskin, it looks a lot like the old one. <laughs> and, and that, and that death period, you know, you, you've got to go up to the cross and you break the legs either side of the thieves and you come to the central figure and you go, no, okay, he's dead. And then you take him down and he gets put in the little cave you, and they roll the, the rock across and then he's just left there. And it's night and day and, you know, and there's time and then kind of if I use this sort of Christianese language, which keeps catching me, like then the rock is rolled back and then something else appears. And in some ways there's echoes of the former, but, but with rushing it too quickly, you just basically redesign the old wineskin and you get stuck in the same things. And some of what I hear you saying is this idea of, you know, you use words like desperate or whatever that, that sounds to me, I think some people can interpret that as, oh, goodness, no, that's not good for us to be desperate. Actually, I think it's wonderful for us to be in that space of going, what if I could let go of this thing? If, if the only thing I can see is this wineskin because it's in my hands, what if I let it fall to the ground? And then I looked at my open hands for a while. And I think with, you know, very much within like Tim and I's approaches, we've been doing this work and talking with people. It's, God, what would you, what would you bring to birth there? In my present tense, current, right now, relational interaction with you, what are you asking, doing, saying, what's going on? So I'm not just going to run back into some certainty around this old wineskin. And so I'm also really excited about what you're talking about and see potentially even, you know, some threads perhaps in some of what we've been talking about and some of where you're at and what you guys are discerning around what's happening in some of the church communities. I mean, my personal hope although even there I'm holding that at arm's length a little bit, is that this Sunday after Sunday gathering thing of, you know, I'm not a big fan of Francis Chan, but I thought his comment so insightful when he left the mega church structure was he realized that he was in a building with 5,001 people and there was one gift being exercised and 5,000 people sitting on their backsides. There I paraphrase him quite generously. <laughs> But I just thought, that's insightful, dude. And then he left. And he was like, I'm done. And there are other things in that story, but that quote has really captured me and going, yes. I don't want to return, and I don't think it's going to be fruitful for us to recapture and return to that wineskin of, of this doing church. And I'm not just talking about running an office and emails and all that sort of stuff. And there's some wonderful things that happens within the organization, counseling and meetings and things sometimes. But, but I do think that that Sunday morning talking about God, just relying on God's presence at some secondary level, perhaps through preaching, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm really not, please hear me people. I'm not trying to knock 
some of those rituals and practices, etc. I just don't think that's God showing up in person necessarily primarily. And I'm excited for what a new wineskin in your language might look like. And I'm, and I'm excited with you without knowing where that's going, without knowing what the journey might be. And I think that's, that for me, I like that. Let's, let's get a little bit off map and, and see where we're going. Um, so, I mean, thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really cool to hear. I just forwarded to you, um, Steve, the, um, the kind of an outline, which I shared with this church on Monday with the pastoral staff. Just some of my thoughts on, you know, the, this, uh, and I'm calling it a kind of a hybrid or two, two, uh, two, two, tr two track approach. Because, you know, you've, you know, the, you have members, you have to be faithful to shepherd, you can't walk away from from people that are sincerely, you know, wanting to, to follow and there everybody's in a journey, right, of course. But we need to be about a process of culture, we're changing a culture in South Africa, culture change doesn't happen overnight, culture change is going to take years. And so um, what I was been lately encouraging pastors is to look for the dissatisfied, to look for the ones around in your congregation that are making noise for change and who have who are not caught up in in all their life in church stuff, but are still connected with people who are far from God, but are seeking the Lord. And start a group, as Jesus did, of people who are on a discovery that can take other people into discovery of God, but out of the church. And to see that begin to multiply. And so there's this you know, kind of typical kind of questions like, you know, what are you thankful for? You know, what, what are you struggling with? And then, and then finding a scripture that, we let, like Jesus did, bring the word, the truth into the need of the person and say, what does God, what is the, what is, hey, what does the Bible say about this? And discuss it. And not just head knowledge, but what does it mean to me? And how does this relate to my life? And how can I put this into practice and do that, become DNA, you know, a new practice of discovery in out of the church. This is what the movements we're talking about. These are like we call them gospel movements or disciple making movements around the world that these are happening in the most unchurched areas. They're accelerating explosively, but it's nothing's happening in churches, structures because or in church areas because we're so used to the old, this old culture, see. So I'm challenging and hopefully we'll see this kind of, I call it, you know, a hybrid where these groups continue to grow and be released. Eventually, as the testimonies are coming in, the people are seeing a real meaningful change in their life and meaningful walks in intimacy with God through the word, it'll become contagious. And the reality is the Holy Spirit is doing it. It's not us. The Holy Spirit is infusing this. I'm hoping that this will be a process of actually bringing new wine skin in without having to just um, dump out the wine, you know, and, and try to and dump out all the people in a sense um, in the process, but really in a sense, starting something fresh and new that, that will begin to grow. Unfortunately, it will mean outside the church and it's a bit threatening and it's a bit fuzzy and uncertain <laughs> as you're talking about unordained, unordained people, you know, doing it, but you know, it's, I, I trust that we'll see a greater movement and, and experience, you know, people willing to try this, yeah. I think just to, to dive in there, you used some of the Greek words, ecclesia, oikos, earlier. I, I understand that to be a, quite a deliberate usage of those words to capture that original sense of community and, and gathering. 
what's interesting is is what we call the church today none of those new testament references apply to oh sure of course those 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 terms actually apply to these things that we call outside the church when you use the phrase outside the church that's exactly what scripture is talking to it's it's talking about these things that were outside what we later created and called the church and so in some ways we we have had this transition from from what was first and foremost a relational paradigm of the ecclesia is not just the you know, the ecclesia to the discourse, you know, the community we gather to teach, you know, or, you know, anything like that. It's it's actually first and foremost the ecclesia to Theo. It's the community gathers to meet with God. It's, it's constituted first and foremost in relational engagement with God, the relational engagement with each other, but therein also the relational engagement with God. And that's precisely what we have so undefined that I feel that your research touches on. And like I, I've often said, to people I, I was at a dinner a few weeks ago with someone getting at me for a few hours <laughs> we, we basically they feel like oh, I'm, I'm anti-church and I'm going I'm, I'm not anti-church I'm not anti-bible it's because I take scripture and God seriously that for me I want to make the relational paradigm central that this relational engagement with each other this relational engagement with God is primary and you don't need this institution called the church to do that and 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 once you recognize that it's okay if you want to gather and you know perhaps even formalize that in some way or not that's not the issue the issue isn't whether we structure our gatherings or not the issue is when the structures predetermine what it means and the structures then predecide that that the the desire to meet with god has been met with because the activity of gathering institutionally has taken place you know, in some ways people go, but that's just semantic or that's just over-intellectualizing, overthinking. But at a grassroots level, it, it's not because what's coming out from people that we, we're squeezing into buildings week after week. In, in fact, what's coming out from your research is that what's coming out from the people that are squeezing people into buildings week after week is that they're going, our relational needs with God are not being met. But then we've got to carry that through and then go, but then you're not meeting people's relational needs with God. So if that is the case, let's we're not this is not a judgmental statement coming from Ziva i because it is often taken as a criticism it's taken as a negative it's taken as an insult as opposed to taken as this recognition that what what game are we playing are we in the game of putting bums on seats in buildings or are we in the game of really enabling people to relationally engage god and walk with god and if we're in that game let's just acknowledge that actually we're not good at it and become learners in that together rather being in the position of going, I'm so heavily invested in this. Don't take my crack away. Don't take my audience away. <laughs> I'm in charge. You know, God works hierarchically ultimately and I'm at the top of the food chain as the pastor, you, you know, like the, you know, you, you must encounter those, those uh, specific uh, gems of pastors <laughs> in your work as well who, who, who can be like that. But, but I'm also aware and sensitive that we, we have taken up over two and a half hours of your time, <laughs> which I've absolutely loved. Uh, Carl, you have been ridiculously generous with your time and your expertise and the research and everything. Thank you so, so much. It's my joy, guys. Well, I hope that this has been helpful. You could get some nuggets out of this that will serve your your uh, your podcast needs. And and uh, please let me know if this needs clarity or follow up. Anyway, please keep me posted. I'd love to hear the final. So let me know when it's done, and I'd love to tune in too. And 
sort of. I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad I can help. I'll issue just one last reflection that was just so wonderful to hear in some of the, the last comments that you were making there around potential brave steps for churches, etc., and exploring new territory. And there was so much there, but the one thing that really struck me that you said was listening to some of the voices that are sort of, I forget your exact words, but kind of rumbling almost on the fringes a little bit. And I've done so much work with people who have played that role, who've been told, you're not welcome to raise your voice here. <laughs> Get in line, sit down, be quiet. This is how things happen. And to hear someone actively and, and, I mean, you're not the only person, but it's just so wonderful to hear that affirmation coming through in the context in which you're delivering it to churches, pastors, etc. Hear those people's voices. The, the rumblings are not always grumblings. <laughs> the rumblings are sometimes just people going, maybe there's something more. Maybe I can contribute something. I, I, I remember a friend of mine said a while back, he said, you know, he's really battling with this ministry idea because he doesn't want to serve coffee. He doesn't want to do kids ministry. He, he just, he doesn't get kids and he thinks it would be a bad idea. He definitely shouldn't be in the band because he's heard himself sing and I'd heard himself, heard him sing. So I could agree with him. <laughs> there was a very tight rein on the whole preaching, teaching thing in the church we were in at that point. Uh, what else is there? He would occasionally greet people at the door as they came through. And every now and then he'd kind of lead some prayer stuff before the service. But he was just saying, I'm so deeply unfulfilled because the areas that the church says here you can serve, it doesn't, I don't connect with any of that. And when I raise that question, I'm told, yeah, but what's your problem? You can serve here or here or here, like get on with it. And he was quite surprised that I'd take him seriously and going, well, well, dude, maybe there's some space, not on a Sunday morning, maybe there's somewhere else. Maybe, maybe this voice should be heard of your and, and it's not dissatisfaction in the selfish sense. It's a voice, I think, that comes through connection with God and God saying, hey, what have I put in you and what are you going to bring to life in this world? And they look at the available five options and go, well, definitely none of that. And I just, I wanted to reflect that and say, thank you for saying that. And thank you for embodying that in this current work that you're doing around encouraging people to hear those voices and not be threatened and go i don't even want to use the language of releasing because that for me also just has bad connotations around puppet mastery sort of stuff but not squashing that taking it seriously engaging with people and going okay let's let's hear what you have to say would love to engage have a coffee let's talk about what is god saying to you etc etc taking those voices seriously so that's kind of my sign off from from my side and reflecting that Thank you so much, Carl. It's been, Jeepers, it's been a wonderful conversation. I am so touched by the things that you were willing to share with us to, to begin with as we talk through some of your life and then digging into this research and exploring towards the end, kind of where can some of this go. Thank you so much for your generosity. We really appreciate it. My joy, brothers. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to keeping, keeping the conversation and the learning and discovery going and extending it with others. Been praying. I'll pray for you guys. Can I pray for you real quick as we close off? So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you so much for Tim, for Steve, you the unique calling <clears throat> that you've given them in this dialogue opportunity to really engage people in a process of, of, um, of, 
of discerning how you are at work, um, discerning how we are, you're calling us to be um, following you in unique ways in this kingdom, in your kingdom. Um, my Father, I pray, Lord, for these podcasts, Lord, that they would, they would go out and, Lord, that you would draw the people that need to hear them. Lord, you know, each one out there and their unique journey in their, in their following and intimacy with you. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that um, this podcast would, would, uh, would reach not just their ears, but their hearts and their minds. Father, that it would ripple effect to others, that there would be a multiplication of, of fruitfulness for your kingdom. Lord, through this, this, not just this podcast, but all of the broadcasts and the impacts that these will have. I pray for these brothers that you'd help them to keep their spiritual ears open, Lord, to what you're saying in um, such a time as this yeah, in our nation. Lord, that, uh, Lord, you are shaking the world. You're shaking everything in the world today for a reason. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to these guys, give them discernment and insight in how to be ahead of the game, ahead of, in step with you, of course, with what these conversations need to be about for what you're doing uh, in these last days to draw people closer to yourself in worship and in, in, in love and in intimacy with you. So, Father, thank you for this time. We love you and pray this in Christ's most wonderful name. Amen. Carl, again, thank you so much. I really, I've, I've really valued this. It's been a, it's been an absolute pleasure.